0: show. I'm so excited, you guys. I have a previous guest on our show today, and it means a lot to me because there are so many people, so many, I'm sure you wouldn't have to even think very far or, or think very long about having a son or a brother that has passed away from addictions, from overdose, Um, from mental health issues. And we do not have to look far for that to be something that we need to all look at. And I'm bringing today a very special, special guest that I've had on our show before. And I will definitely add it to the description down below. Because it's very special to me. We don't talk about this enough. We don't talk about grief. We don't talk about overdoses we don't talk about any of that kind of stuff and today we have a great show shattered dreams a mother-daughter conversation on schizophrenia and addiction so that being said my name is teen again i'm here from your backup plan app um i am a financial advisor i'm a creator and developer of your backup plan app as well as a uh, Best-selling author of In the Blink of an Eye. That's right. Just that quick second that your life changes in an instant, in the blink of an eye forever. And it's so very, very true. I've lived it myself. I've lived it with other guests that have come on our show now going into our fourth year. So if you haven't liked, share and subscribe to our channel down here below there then make sure you do, because we bring special guests on our show every week, and I'm so excited to have this one. We are going to be having um, a special guest next month on our show, uh, a brother of Jimi Hendrix, and that's going to be an awesome show as well, talking about uh, how Jimi Hendrix left his estate, and what a mess it was for the family that was left behind. Uh, we talk about real-life stories on our show about, with really amazing guests, and our shows that have changed their life forever with tragedies, trauma, sickness, or accidents, and that's what we're all about on our show. In the blink of an eye, your life changes forever. And sometimes we're not given any five-minute evacuation notice, Sometimes we're not given anything at all. Uh, the doctor says you now have cancer or the uh, accident just came and hit you and you, you don't get a five-minute evacuation notice for that. You don't say, hold on a second, I get my five minutes, you can't hit me yet. That's not how it happens. It's, it happens that quickly. And so we have created this app so that people have a better planning process. They can put their passwords in it. They can put their investments and accounts in it. Uh, They can put their wills and power of attorneys in it. And all of that kind of emergency preparedness that we talk about emergency kits and grab and go bags and all of that fun stuff. So that being said, let's get the party started. We have a quick commercial and then I'll bring on Debbie and Stephanie. Welcome back to our show with our two wonderful, wonderful guests. Her name is Debbie Gail Zane and her daughter Stephanie Loomis, and they come to us from beautiful Virginia. Just a hop, skip, and a jump away from us here in um, Canada. So welcome, welcome. Let's bring on Debbie. She is a author, a new author at that, as well as a coach and advocate, and her daughter, Stephanie. Thank you for coming on, you guys. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, you so for much having for us.
0: us. It's like a mutual. <laughs> it's like a <laughs> tango. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> so awesome. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure if one of you want to start and then the other one just adds in whatever they wish. It's it's all going to be good. This story that comes from Debbie and Stephanie is a true life story of your son who had schizophrenia and addictions. And I wanted Stephanie on the show as well to talk about how that how that was for you as the sister and in the house and what that did to you as well. So where do you want to start Debbie with the story? Cause we've had you on before and we're going to have it linked down below as well for the previous show as well.
2: Yeah. Um, either Stephanie or I could start. I'm, I'm good with either one. You got this mom. You started. The- <laughs> yeah. So, um, Like you said, it all started when my oldest son, Alex, Stephanie's older brother, was about 17 years old. And up until then, I felt like he had a pretty normal childhood and, you know, teen years. And one day, it was Thanksgiving weekend, the day after Thanksgiving, exactly, and he came to me and described how he wanted to kill himself. And he said that he had actually attempted it before and he described exactly what he did. And in that moment, as a mom, that's like one of the hardest things to hear. And, you know, him describing it, it's like, I couldn't get that image out of my head. And it just, you know, things only got worse from there. Um, that led to a, a three and a half week hospitalization um, where he, the first time he was ever, you know, diagnosed
0: with a mental illness. Yeah. And. Um, what did it feel like for you, Debbie? Cause we can ask Stephanie the same question. Um, you know, I think it would feel like somebody just took a dagger and went into your heart. Do you do you think that would be a good explanation? Yeah, I I do. I I remember
2: one of the things that I was always able to do as a mom is no matter how I felt inside, I would try to stay calm so that I could listen. Because he came to me because he wanted to talk, he wanted to share. So inside, I think I'm screaming inside. Inside yeah. I'm Mean inside, I'm scared. Inside, I, I'm not. You know, I'm just. You know, there isn't a manual for for how to be a mom in this situation. And
0: no, in many uh, situations, I'm like, where's that? Where's that manual? It's got to be in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs>
2: but on, on the outside, I was trying to be there for him to to share what he needed to t- to talk about. That he came to me. Um, but yeah, I feel
0: like it just knocked the wind out of me. I mean, yeah. and um, you want to yell and scream and hit them as well as be comforting. And I just wanted—I wanted to scream, but there was no one to scream to. I was—I
2: was the only adult in the house with three teenagers, and um, it was just. Really.
0: You need that. You need the book where you go to that tab and say, "When the sun does what this, what do I do next?" Yeah,
2: exactly. I mean, luckily we had this wonderful at the time. This wonderful doctor that um, I had already—it was the family doctor. I had already transitioned since my boys were both older, getting older teens. They had already—I transitioned him to, to her and. She was kind of on call all the time. She was in her own practice, so I was actually able to call and get a hold of her. And she called the the psychiatric hospital and had somebody c- call and like kind of do a like pre intake interview with him on the phone
0: before I brought kind of like an in. intervention or something like almost like kind
2: of. I mean, it was like getting late at night on a Friday night, and I was surprised. Like she, after talking to him, she told me that. I remember her saying to, to bring him in first thing in the morning and, you know, they would talk to him and evaluate him and likely admit him and, you know, to bring, pack a bag. And I remember thinking how we can make him, how do we make it through the night? Like how, you know, how, like what am I supposed to do tonight? Like, and she said that after talking to him, she said he, she, he would be safe and, I mean, I'm thinking like, are you sure? How do you know, you know?
0: Yeah, because you're letting your kid go now and you're not sure how they're going to be. Yeah. And how did you feel, Stephanie? When did you first find out the same way?
1: Um. Yeah, I, I think that is when I found out too. My brother and I were really, really close. So he would typically um, share things with me, but it was almost like, um just like a a switch flipped you know he seemed like he had you know a typical life he had a lot of friends he did sports and you know i didn't really notice him seeming depressed or anything like that and then it felt like just one day you know it just switched and um i you know i was crushed i was heartbroken when i found out that my brother was feeling that way because like I said, we were really close and um, yeah. I was constantly worried about him. And um, yeah, it was, it was just awful. You know, my, both of my brothers and I are very close, especially when we were younger. So they, you know, he felt like a, a close friend to me and yeah. obviously it's my brother. I love him so much. It, it was really, really hard.
0: Because you're worried about him at the same time. and Yeah. Yeah definitely so where did it go from there then debbie
2: um like I said he was hospitalized for three and a half weeks and during that time um you know I he talked a lot about how he had been feeling and and that was a shock to me too because kind of like Stephanie said he had this before that thing seemed normal, he was really into sports. He ran track and cross country all throughout high school. He had all these friends. And this was the beginning of his senior year. And, um, you know, he shared about how he had been um, paranoid that, that people were spying on him. And he had blocked off all the windows in his room and blocked off all the light coming in. And um, just all these things that he shared that i had no idea at all and um it was just all new for me and from there i think the rest you know it was hard the rest of his senior year getting him to graduate like i remember when he graduated thinking like kind of breathing a sigh of relief like okay we got through the rest of high school because it was really hard um
0: because you're probably thinking that had a correlation between it or something, right? That maybe once he gets out of there, then I can I just, understand. Yeah, that.
2: I wasn't sure. And when he was in the hospital, they said he had been also using drugs. I, I don't remember if at that point it was only marijuana. So I think it did start out as just marijuana. But by the time he graduated, I'm pretty sure it had by then already moved to other, other drugs as well. So life was really unpredictable um, yeah. and difficult because um, we, you know, looking for doctors for him, the, the hospital advised, we find a psychiatrist, we find a therapist, um, getting him on the right medications was a huge trial and error process. Um, oh, yes. A lot of them didn't work or had bad side effects or both or made him worse, made him fall asleep during the day. I mean, all kinds of things. Um, It was pretty crazy. And so just getting- Is there a
0: reason, Debbie, is there a reason that you know of that why a switch turns like that? Is there-
2: Um, That's a really good question. So at the time- we were told that there could be like a hereditary component. He did have on his dad's side, I think his dad's uncle had schizophrenia. Um, and then there was some addiction there too on the dad's side. Um, I, I don't know what I've known. What I've learned now, I think is that health can play a role and like, toxins in the body metals in the body especially in the brain like where they sit in the brain can impact like almost like almost like short-circuiting I think the the brain like depending upon alloys and metals and you know how exactly the composition and exactly where they're sitting um, but I didn't really know that at the time I just they didn't say too much as far as the cause but but what they told me at the time is that this is kind of the age range they said. This usually onsets between like age seventeen and twenty-two or so, like you yeah. know, late early twenties. So they said, okay, this is like right in that time frame. And so, yeah,
0: it's weird. It's like I, hormone change or something, changed. right?
2: So I, I think I just went with it. And um, I mean, so many times in medicine they don't always know the why. So I, I guess I just didn't think too much of them not knowing the why. Um, But I know they had said that it was going to be, you know, challenging, that there was going to be...
1: Yeah,
0: to say the least. Yeah, exactly. Um, What did you feel, Stephanie? Did you feel like you didn't know him anymore? Or you wanted to help him? Or... I, mean, I
1: definitely wanted to help him. It it really hurt me a lot to see him struggling and, and feeling so depressed and, and terrible. And I was just constantly worried about him. I mean, no one wants to see their loved ones feeling, you know, like they want to take their life. And going through this new process, it's almost like, you know, starting a new life in a sense. Because now, you know, you have to take medication and Take care of your mental health. And it was just really hard. And I remember, you know, with all the new medicines he was trying, sometimes the medicines would help. And so he felt like he didn't need to take them anymore. And he would go off of his medication and then things would get really bad again. So I was just really worried. You know, I felt like almost like a mother. You know, I wanted to make sure that he was taking his medicine, taking care of himself so he could feel good. And it just, it was tough you know I mean it's really hard to see a loved one go through that
0: oh for sure especially when you've been so close to them and yeah and it's weird when you think you've known somebody but you really don't know them I think that's the weirdest part
1: definitely it's it's really sad you know I mean for anyone else out there who's listening to this they can you know vouch for it It's it's terrible and I mean all I wanted to do was help him and fix him but I mean you know you just
0: can't I think women in general want to fix boyfriends and they want to fix yeah husbands and you know we just want to fix 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 but there's yeah. no fixing I don't think it's it's their journey for some reason I'm not I don't quite understand what that journey looks like or why but it just happens so often but I, yeah, I don't I, don't get it
2: I think it, and and like as a mom it's hard cuz like you want to you want to make everything good for your kids and so you almost you feel almost powerless and this is a lot of what moms go through that have a son or daughter that is going through this is some part of you feels like You know, it it is your responsibility to fix it, but then you really can't, you don't have that Mm -hmm. power. And so then there's this inner turmoil going on and it's, it's really hard to sit there and watch your loved one suffer. And yeah, it's, it's almost like I didn't realize this till much, much later, but a grieving process that you go through because your child is so different like from, from pre-mental illness and drugs. Like right. it's just such a huge change. And I don't think I realized that I needed to go through that grieving process until many years later.
0: It's kind of too late after that point. It's You're really going the through the, through the true grief after that point. Yeah. And how old were you, Stephanie, when this was all going on?
1: I would say I was probably around maybe 13 or 14 when it started with him. And, you know, now that I'm an adult and, um, you know, I can realize things and how deep, you know, the, how deep things really were, I feel for my mom so much because as a sibling, it was so hard. And I'm not diminishing that, but like as a mother, you know, that's a whole different type of pain and feeling. And so I really feel for my mom a lot. Yeah.
0: yeah. And still do because yeah. it just oh, doesn't when, stop.
1: One hundred percent.
0: Yeah. Um, what do you think? I I know in our other shows, we talked about all the things that you tried to do and all the things that he did. And um, just to summarize it, you want to summarize it for everybody to kind of bring you up to the part where he, um, I mean, in the beginning, I would say the
2: first couple of years he spent in and out of hospitals and, you know, each day was maybe approximately a week, which really doesn't, in a week doesn't really do too much. It was more to stabilize him. And like Stephanie had mentioned is he'd go through phases where he would stop medications either because he thought he felt better or because he hated the side effects or because he just ran out. Um, or he and, just
0: didn't want to. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. And that was kind of on and off throughout, you know, the nine years. Um, and and then when the drugs got really, really bad around the age of 19, you know, there was one year where he was in and out of rehabs three different times in less than a year. And um, at that point he was, you know, using almost every drug under the sun. In fact, one of the rehabs, they all, he and like three other of the guys like left and drove like an hour away to buy heroin and, and, got you know got found out and got kicked out and that was the first time that I found out he was using heroin and that was that was really that was really scary and um, you know it, the drugs became definitely a really a really really big, big issue and um, over the next several years after that um, we almost lost him a number of times to to an overdose. And, um, you know, to the point where I think each time they probably gave him the Narcan and that, that was before Narcan was, was readily available. Like it is now back then it was just, you know, given to the, uh, emergency personnel and the hospitals. It wasn't, um, something that you could get as a parent or, or friend or a street. Yeah. You couldn't get it even though it was life-saving. Um, now fortunately you can but it's, it did save his life several times. And that was, that was really scary. Um, and I know did he
0: ever, did he ever talk about the times that he was saved and that he was glad to come back or was it? like I, I don't, you know,
2: it wasn't until later after he passed away that I started wondering what it was like for him. Like, as I started learning more about like afterlife and after he passed and all that stuff, but I was, and near death experiences, I started wondering what it felt like for him, um, when we had almost lost him. So, yeah, I mean, I, I know I remember a few of the times, um, talking to him about, you know, how serious this was and, you know, him kind of promising, like, okay, I'm not going to use drugs anymore. Um, but unfortunately, it, it just, it kind of came in waves and over the next, you know, into his twenties and everything, it, he went through phases. Like he would, he would put himself in the hospital. He would put himself in rehab. He would, and he would, you know, tell us how excited he was that he was going to get better and not going to use anymore. And he was really serious this time. And he'd go to the outpatient after the rehab and, have a counselor and everything and you know he'd go through phases and it just it kind of came in waves it 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 didn't stay for long periods of time.
0: I mean look at Lisa Marie Presley's son look at Robin Williams look at Amy Winehouse you know it's it's just such a mental illness that I I don't, I don't know if we could comprehend it, but it would have been interesting to hear what he had to say in between all of those episodes, you know, what he was, what, what do people think? Do they just want to escape so badly? You know, like what is it really?
2: I feel like for him, life was really hard. He had a number of, he had a seizure disorder. He had type one diabetes. Um, and he had seizures, I say a seizure disorder, it wasn't, it was one that the seizure medication didn't seem to help, or maybe the the drugs interfered with it and made it worse. I don't know, but he pretty much had seizures weekly and oh. sometimes would end up at the ER with stitches and, um, you know, his diabetes was really... Um, out of control, he would many times end up in the hospital for a week at a time, almost in diabetic ketoacidosis, well, in diabetic ketoacidosis, almost going into a coma with blood sugar over 900. Is um, that from
0: alcohol use then, usually?
2: I would, yeah. imagine, I would imagine that there had to have been alcohol that interfered with it, because I don't know how it got so high. I don't even know how he survived it getting so high because I don't think most people would make it to blood sugar that high. Um, but he definitely had a lot of, and then, you know, not to mention the, the mental illness that caused hallucinations caused paranoia caused suicidal thoughts. I mean, he had a really hard, it was, life was really hard. So I do think the drugs was like an escape. And yeah, I think, I think it was just really tough for him. Um, Two things he loved. Well, actually three. uh, He loved spending time with family, which was great. He'd get so excited when we were all going to get together. He was like Stephanie described. We were all really close. um, The three of them and me. And he also loved um, religions. And he would find religion after religion after religion. But I feel like it was a place that he found acceptance and a place he found that um, he he found solace in it, and yeah. um, and he also loved to study like uh, like genet- genetics, like hereditary Genetic. genetics. Yeah, like he had been doing that since about age fourteen or so. So those three things I think kept him kept him going. Those three things worked in his favor, but all the other health issues kind of worked against him. So you know maybe that was kind of why that battle back and forth, that battle to like, you know, stay off the drugs and, and, and do yeah. well. And, and um, the pressure,
0: the pressures yeah. came in.
1: Right. Right.
0: But what do you think was so different from you than him, Stephanie? We all have pressures in life in certain times. And-
1: well, I think that, I mean, you know, I wasn't dealt the hand that he was, and I didn't have all these illnesses and stuff like that. So in a sense, you know, things were easier for me. You know, we were obviously raised the same way, but like. Oh, you're muted.
0: You were fine, and then all of a sudden it disappeared. No. That's weird. We lost her for a second here.
2: Hmm. I see her, though.
0: Yeah. It's just audio. We don't hear you, though. We still don't hear you. Can you hear me? There we go.
1: Oh, okay. All right. Sorry, I don't know what happened.
0: Yeah, it <laughs> just disappeared. That's okay.
1: Okay. Um, like I was saying, though, is you know he was dealt a very different hand than I was, and fortunately, I didn't have to deal with the you know mental illnesses and and physical illnesses and all that stuff. And you know, I think that you know, I I believe that fortunately, you know. Had to deal with it that too way too much yeah and i mean i can't imagine walking in his shoes being in his footsteps i you know so i think that he handled things the only way that he knew how and he he was very strong i mean he fought for so long he he really tried and i watched him attempt to get sober so many times and during those periods of sobriety he really was trying and, you know, and I'm proud of him for all that. And um, it was just a terrible disease that unfortunately
0: he had to live with. Did you have to worry every time that he went in for? I was worried
1: 24-7, honestly. Anytime that he, would, like I saw his name pop up on my phone, he would text or call me. I was so nervous. I mean, I would tell my boyfriend all the time about how I'm so worried about him. He didn't drive because of um, his seizure disorder. Like my mom mentioned, you know, he would have seizures multiple times a week, and they would be bad seizures. And um, so he didn't drive. So I would pick him up frequently and take him to the store, take him to the pharmacy, take him to you know, go go get food or wherever he needed to go, I would take him. It was to the point where it was almost daily that I was giving him rides places. And, um, you know, he would open up to me about things and, and some good, some bad, but I was just constantly worried about him. I mean, as soon as I would drop him off at home and go back to my house, I would be worried about him all the time. And um, I remember there was a few times, or there's one in specific where my mom, ma- I was at work and my mom called me or texted me and she um, was really, really worried about Alex and she lived about an hour away from him at the time and I was closer. So she wanted me to go check in on him and make sure he was okay because they previously were, um, I guess, talking and he mentioned that he was feeling suicidal so I was just extremely worried. I couldn't even finish out my shift. I immediately left work early and I drove to his house and checked on him. Unfortunately, he was okay. But, um, you,
0: you know, I just, know.
1: yeah, I felt like it kept me from sleeping at night some nights because I was just constantly worried about him.
0: Yeah, that's a horrible way to live, isn't it? To always be worried. yeah definitely it's it's kind of i guess it's kind of similar to um having someone with dementia or or cancer and you know they're in treatment and you are hoping for the best and you're hoping for for some miracle to happen and you know you have all this hope but every time you you keep on getting dinged every now and then like that you know he didn't take his medicine or whatever it's 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 the same way i think for many people struggling through this it's not just him that's struggling through the journey but it's everybody <laughs> everybody involved yeah yeah
1: definitely everybody. in a sense oh you go go ahead i was going to say in a sense you know it it became our normal because we had dealt with it for so many years that we just found a way to kind of adjust and live with it and still support him and wish the best for him. But just accept that, you know, this is our reality and his reality and we can't do anything to change it besides, of course, support him and and try to offer our help. But it just, we got
0: used to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I don't know how you get used to that. You know, somebody so much. Yeah. And you don't want anything bad to happen. yeah, that's crazy
2: like Stephanie said it's it's some level of acceptance because I mean we had to accept him the way he was in order to just be present and love him and still have a close relationship with him. I think if we were always trying to make him be somebody different then that would have that would probably not um... You know, because we didn't have the power to make him be different. No. So it, but, you know, but being supportive, being there for him, um, you know, that was, that helped, that made a difference. That is things that we, we could do for him. But we had to just have some level of acceptance that he didn't always, you know, want the same things for himself that we wanted for him.
0: No. Um, question for both of you. Um, I think the question I have is what do you think that you did for him that helped him not take his life, but it helped him improve? Was there anything that you felt that you did that you could see a little dimmer, simmer of light of some sort?
1: Well, for me, I would say is I would constantly reassure him that you know, I'm I'm here to listen to him and I'll always love him no matter what and that I'm, you know, I'm not judging him and I care for him and I would constantly try to motivate him and tell him that he can do anything that he sets his mind to and that, you know, just keep reminding him how loved he is and how strong he is for, you know, putting up with everything for so long. And um, yeah. I just, you know, I would text him sometimes just little messages randomly like, Hey, I love you. I'm here for you. If you need anything, let me know. I Like I said, I would give him rides all the time to go make sure he had what he needed, food, groceries, his medication, anything like that. I would buy him food sometimes if he didn't have any money. Um I just j- would just just you know, give him words there. yeah and be give him words of affirmation and stuff.
0: Yeah. Well that must have helped him at some point, you know. I'm sure maybe it would have happened sooner or something. I guess we just never know what this whole thing does. It's uh yeah. Mental illness, I don't know. It's just becoming this big It's. I think it's worse than than, than the pandemic, honestly. Probably up there with the war now, like it's craziness.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, the loss of people and the loss of the lives that you don't want to lose. I mean, I I just don't know how you can get through it and keep focused and and stay, okay, nothing's going to happen to them. This is how I would be in my head in my own head okay nothing's going to happen to him we're just going to go down this road now and this is how it's going to like that's what i'm thinking i would do in my head i think
2: what we had is enjoy the times we had with him because like we were fortunate that he that one of the things he loved was family so he was always even as a teenager he would rather he'd get so excited if we were going to have a know he lived with us so it was maybe inviting like the grandparents over or something but he'd get so excited he'd rather be with family than go be with friends um and in his later years he was so happy every time you know we organized something with the four of us together but i would say that has helped him a lot like our relationship with him um i feel like that closeness that bond that we all had and like stephanie like Stephanie shared, none of us judged him. I mean, I was the same way and his brother was the same way and we all just loved him and were there for him. And we're kind of that safe space for him, which is why he would confide in us, you know, maybe not in every moment, but like along the way, lots of times. Yeah. Lots of times. And um, I feel like just, you know, being there to, to support him and just to let him know how much we love him. And that was, that was one thing that I, I loved about him. Like we never, we never um, hung up the phone or um, like left a a get together without exchanging I love yous um, and hugs, if it was in person hugs. Um, And so he was just a really loving person and um and so you know just i feel like you had asked you know what things helped him and i feel like just that being able to be present with him and being able to be um enjoy those moments with him and be that safe space for him and you know have that closeness
0: well i'm sure he was very very lucky you know to have both of you and and your brother too stephanie because i mean I can see a lot of parents just getting mad at them, you know, like having angry, getting angry and, and why are you like this? Like, I could just picture that.
1: Yeah. Fortunately, my mom was so understanding. I mean, even for me, you know, if I would, you know, get in trouble or something as a child, my mom was so understanding I always felt really comfortable going to my mom for anything and everything. And I know my brother felt the same way. So we were very fortunate to have, you know, the mother that we have. It could have been a lot different if he was, you know, born into a different family. I mean, it's great that my mom is so understanding.
0: Well, and I'm sure, I mean, you tried your best, Debbie, to what you can possibly do without I mean, you don't have control over everything. So no I guess no. that's the hardest part.
2: I think that's where sometimes I think parents that get angry at these situations, I think that it can come from a few places. Like one is like the, the them blaming themselves and not knowing how to fix it. And, um, that frustration that they're experiencing and, and like, you know, it just letting that out. And I think, um, and not taking it personally. Like, you know, Alex definitely did lash out. I mean, if, you know, if he was actively on drugs, like, yeah, he could definitely say things that, you know, were mean. And, um, I mean, there were definite moments. Every moment wasn't perfect and loving. I mean, cause he, yeah. he, he was using drugs, but I think the thing is, is that it, it wasn't, it wasn't personal. He wasn't doing these things to hurt us or to, um it wasn't it wasn't about any of us it was right. it was just about what he was going through i mean addiction yeah. is a, is an illness and in, in and of itself it's like he had two large mental illnesses you know the mental illness and the addiction and and it's huge and they're not about other people like um you know but it affects their brain and and so they can say and do things that you know Maybe they wouldn't normally
0: have done normally.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But I think a lot of times people do take it personally. And I think that's a good point to make to to parents or or family that are going through this right now is to realize that it's not about them. It's about the person that is having this journey that you might not appreciate right? Of course, I don't appreciate it. Of course, I don't want to be part of it, but you are. And a lot of people
2: don't see their strengths, like Stephanie mentioned. um, To be able to endure all the things that he went through day after day, like hour after hour, minute after minute, like, I mean, I don't know, that would be really hard. Like how many people really put themselves in their shoes, you know, and how, you know, that would be so hard to have to deal with that stuff on a daily basis. And he was so strong to, to be able to endure it. I mean,
0: that's a lot. That's a real lot. Um, It kind of reminds me of a movie. Um, Maybe you remember Stephanie. Um, It's, I can't think of the actors in it, but it's in the, it's in England and she goes in as a nanny, like as a caregiver, to help the rich family son who had a ski accident and became paralyzed. And he did not like his life now. He couldn't drink by himself. He couldn't eat by himself. He, he would just say, I'm useless. And they fell in love. Does that ring a bell? I wish I no, could but it name. sounds like a good movie. I'm ready to watch her. <laughs> it, it. It just kind of reminds me of him because he did not want to live because he, he was not used to that lifestyle of like, he didn't want to have to be fed in public and he didn't, you know, he didn't want to be in a wheelchair all his life. And, and I, I can see that just like your son didn't want to have all these issues
1: yeah it's a Mm -hmm. whole new life and you have to grieve your old life and accept that this this is you know your new reality going forward i can only imagine how hard it is yeah yeah i feel like he i
2: feel like he wanted to help people too because this is one thing i was going to say earlier and i'm just reminded again is um in the later years um i guess maybe only a year or so before he passed away I remember he had been, um, so he had been in a treatment center. He came out and he was in a, like an outpatient, um, but it was virtual because of COVID. And he had, um, he was in a group and there was a counselor. He loved the counselor, Vicky. And he, there was a number of other people in this group and he, you know, they'd meet every day. And I remember he, we found out like he was drinking again or something. He wasn't using drugs, but he was drinking. Mm-hmm. And we said, you know, what about, you know, asking for help in your group? And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. He's like, I help them. They, they look up to me. <laughs> and I remember Vicky saying that he's always the one volunteering to help others and to share with others and to support others. And so they looked up to him. And so he couldn't let on that he started
1: drinking because he had to be more people. <laughs>
0: I had another girl on who lost her boyfriend and they had a a boy, a little boy with together and they met in rehab and she was on my show as well. And it was interesting because he was helping in this as a counselor and he overdosed. Like that's crazy because just like your son and your brother, they want to help other people they can't really tell people what's really going on up there yeah right? it's your,
2: what i terrible. i mean what i've heard um in the many years that i had attended al-anon um which is a great group by the way for any parent who's going through this with their child is al-anon's a great support group but Um, One thing that I remember they had encouraged us is to go sit in on open AA meetings and just listen, listen to that perspective um, from the attic. And I remember the people who had been in the, in sober in AA for many years, 20, 30 years, them saying each day is a new day. And each day they woke up, wake up and have to recommit to not, you know, not using alcohol or drugs and I think that basically any time it could happen. So it doesn't matter. And, and many of the counselors are former addicts just because they've been through it. Many times people can relate to somebody who's been in yeah. their shoes. And so people can relate to those counselors who have been through it. So it actually doesn't necessarily surprise me I think that sort of thing doesn't happen because I remember somebody going up to get his, um, his like, you know, one year chip, but he also had like a 20 year chip. So he had done 20 years and then he relapsed oh. and then he got back in the program. So I think it happens.
0: Yeah. Do you see anything that like that too, Stephanie, from your point of view?
1: yeah i have definitely seen stuff like that and i would go with um alex sometimes to when anytime he would be in rehab typically um like one day a week usually sundays but not always um they would have like a family group so oh. all the patients in the rehab would sit there and their family members would come you know usually their parents siblings partners anything like that and if my mom was unable to go that week I would step in and go to show my brother's support. And um, I remember that um, the counselors there were all in recovery as well. And, um, you know, had like seven years sober, 10 years, 20, whatever it may be. So, you know, I've definitely seen stuff like that.
0: Yeah, that sounds interesting. And I think it's a good point for listeners as well, you know, to to, to make sure that they participate and and watch what others have gone through so that they find out that it's actually common and and not just their person itself right it's usually the way yeah i'm going to quickly tell everybody to like share and subscribe if you already haven't already down here below in the box and that's about it if you want to be amazing Join us because we're amazing, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I I just think that you know I, I talk to paramedics all the time and they say, oh, you know, I've been to that same person twice in a day, trying to get them to be, but come back to life, basically, and. It's a struggle, like you said, every minute, every day, every week, every month. It's just a struggle. Not sure why, but it is. Um, yeah. Do you have any good tips for people, like from your point of view as a sibling and your point of view as a mom? Other than That's going good, to Al Anon? <laughs>
1: yeah, I would say. Um, Try your best to do some research about addiction so that you can learn more, and kind of see that it's a disease, and um, you know it's not. In my opinion, it's not a choice. And um, yeah, I would just recommend doing research to really learn. You know how it is. Maybe talk to someone who's in a similar position. You know who has a loved one going through addiction. Um, just so that you can learn about it more and that you're not alone.
0: Especially from a sibling point of view as well, right? To-
1: yeah. Yeah, it's really tough. Um, but what helped me was, um, you know, talking to other people, going through something similar, and just learning more about it.
0: Yeah. So that's a good point. What about you, Debbie? Do you think there's anything yeah. in particular? I
2: would say, um, as a parent, um, to not not blame yourself. And not take it personally because when you take those two things out of the picture, I feel like you're in a better place to be able to at least have a more um, closer relationship with your child. Because when you stop blaming yourself and you stop, you know, you stop um, taking things personally that they say, then it's in a whole different light. And um, also, you know, this can be hard but trying to put yourself in the other person's position. And so many times when we put ourselves in someone else's shoes, we do it based upon still our own head and what we would think, but try to put yourself in their shoes based on what you know about them and how they think and feel just to get that, get that understanding and perspective to what, what they're going through so that you can have some compassion because when you can have some compassion and take the blame away and take the judgment away i think then that opens opens up the door to having a closer relationship with them
0: yeah what about shame it's an interesting one did you feel any shame stephanie from your point of view like Not wanting to say anything to friends or something, you know, about your brother or whatever?
1: Yeah, I think at first, you know, a lot of my friends, um, because I had been friends with them for a while, and they would come to our house or, you know, things like that. So they had known Alex, my brother, before kind of these things started happening with him. And so it was such a, you know, like such a switch. And I... Didn't really want to disclose to them, you know, what he's going through now and stuff because they knew him before. Yeah. And I did feel a little bit of shame about it at first. But um, I started to, you know, I needed someone to talk to about it besides my mom and my other brother. And so I would start telling, you know, some of my friends about it. Um, and I did feel like at first maybe a little bit of judgment because just they've never experienced something like that and um, it was tough but then I stopped feeling shameful about it um because I just put myself in his shoes and I reminded myself that none of this is his fault at all
0: right right you, you feel more shameful when when it's like somebody's gone to prison or something because he actually you know did it or something but yeah and Alex case, had a
1: huge heart yeah, yeah. He had a huge heart. I mean, he cared about everybody. He was so kind to everybody and he would make friends with anybody and everybody, even like homeless people that he meets on the street. He would talk to anybody. He was a very, very sweet, caring guy.
0: Oh, that's horrible. Well, not that part. It's horrible. Yeah, I <laughs> know what horrible, you mean. But- Like, you know, like, we just don't have enough kind hearted people in the world. And it's just not fair. You know, universe, why did you take such a beautiful soul away from that could help so many other people? I just, you know, you get to the point where I I don't get it. Just don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Debbie? What did you feel shame at first or at all? Or? That's a good
2: question. I think at first, well, I was already in Al-Anon when he first went into the hospital. I was already in Al-Anon for a, a spouse, but um, I um, so I had the, the those were mostly like sort of my world. So I I felt comfortable to share with them, um, and so I think my helpful life- helpful
0: in a way, I guess too.
2: And my life was so, in the beginning, it was so turned upside down by the hospitalization and and all the research and trying to find the doctors and the therapist and the
1: medication trial and,
2: error and just everything that I don't, I'm not sure that I, I don't know. Um, but I do know new people. I was really careful what I shared. And I don't know if it was shame or protectiveness or not trusting them to share this kind of information with. So new people, I was I was very cautious. Um, I think I, w- I, w- I was definitely aware that there was, you know, a stigma around mental illness and addiction. And that may be also why I was, you know, very cautious to share with anybody new. But the the small circle of people that I had around me, I, I, I felt safe. Oh, good. So I was fortunate in that, but, but new people, I was really, really, really cautious. Um, but then in the, in the later, in the later years, I think I wasn't, I, I was not as cautious maybe because I trusted myself more, um, in dealing with this and how far we had come with, with handling it and dealing with it and kind of made, my peace around, not that I liked what was happening, but I, I had, you know, made peace in my life around what was happening. And so I think that I was more open about sharing because the potential to maybe help another person that was going through something similar.
0: Well, and I think there's so many people, like even celebrities don't want to share it until something else happens, right? It's just... They, yeah, I don't know if it's shame. I I think sometimes it might not even be just shame from your side, but it might be. If you're talking right. to someone, you're you're thinking, well, they're not going to understand. Yeah. Right? yeah, they don't understand, or they've never experienced anything like this. So how do I even start explaining that? Yeah, I and think that
1: wanting to. Oh,
0: I was gonna say go. yeah, I, I think yeah. I
2: felt. I think outside of the people in Al-Anon, I think I felt really alone because I felt like the, everyone else's life looked normal, at least from the outside. And I felt like I was the only one kind of going through this in, in the yeah. the big scheme of the world outside of the Al-Anon people. And even with Al-Anon, a lot of them weren't necessarily dealing with the mental illness. Maybe they were just dealing with a family member with addiction. So, It still was a little bit, I still in some way
1: felt alone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what were you going to say, Stephanie?
1: Um, I was going to say that um, also kind of like what my mom was saying earlier about maybe not sharing things with everybody to protect him. Um, you know, I also wanted to respect his privacy. And so I didn't always want to just go sharing all his business to everybody. You know, my friends, maybe they had maybe some of my friends had an older sibling who knew him, or something like that. And I didn't want to just air out his business like that. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I would only want to share things that he's comfortable with me sharing with people.
0: Which makes it awkward because you feel like you're walking on broken glass, you know. Because you're,
1: yeah. It's
0: it's a hard, such a hard thing to go through, and and feel like you're only the only one doing it <laughs> in the world, and you're not apparently. What is it? One in four now, or something crazy? Wow,
1: yeah. oh, really? yeah, a- when you're going through it, it feels like you're the only one in the world.
0: Yeah, for sure. It does. Yeah. And a mother, too, right?
1: Yeah.
2: Especially, I think, because there are a lot of people who keep it to themselves for any number of reasons that we've just kind of talked about. And so then you're just seeing sort of what somebody wants you to see. And so to you, it looks like everyone else is having a normal life. Yeah. And, um, you know, back then when he was first diagnosed, it wasn't, it wasn't talked about as much as it is today.
0: Definitely. And how many, how much we've come through with all of this, actually, every year, it's gotten better, I think. It has gotten
2: better over the years. I mean,
0: when Michael Jackson overdosed and had mental health issues. And yeah, it's, it's crazy how far we've come, really. Yeah. What like, kind of us. final message would you say, Stephanie, to the listeners, but from a point of if you were going to talk to a friend at school or a friend at work and they're just started going through this, what kind of final what kind of message would you give them?
1: I would tell them to definitely share with someone how you're feeling don't keep it bottled up inside because that's just a terrible feeling you need to at least find one person that you're comfortable venting to and um support i yeah and i would say do some research and learn about addiction and or whatever mental health Uh, or mental illness they have and um, try to really put yourself in their shoes and show them compassion, but make sure that you can set healthy boundaries for yourself as well and only do what you feel comfortable
0: doing. Those are good tips. I like those. Those are great. Thank you. (laughs) What about you, Debbie, from a perspective of, of a mom to another mom? What do you think you would say?
2: I would say you want to make the most of the time that you have with your child, no matter what they're going through. Um, we never know how long anyone has and you want to really be present and be there for him. And so if that means you need to let go of, like, you know, let go of blaming yourself, let go of blaming them, um, put yourself in their shoes, all the tips that we've given you, but really focus on building those, precious memories. Um, and even if things are not the way you want them to be, stop waiting, stop, you know, don't, don't say, okay, yes, I'm going to do this as soon as they stop using drugs or alcohol, or as soon as they get back on their meds and they're stable. No, you can do that now because they're going to be up and down. Um, that happens. And, you know, maybe you're lucky and they won't, maybe they'll find sobriety and they'll, They'll get on the right medications and their life will be very steady, but many times it's not that way. And so make the most of the moments you have with them. You can still have a close relationship with them. So enjoy those moments.
0: Those are great tips from both of you. And, you know, I think if I was to say that to anybody too, I would say, I don't think we'll ever regret ever. There's never going to be a time that you're going to say, geez, why did I spend my whole Christmas holidays with them? And then they go ahead and just die. Like, that's never going to happen. You're never going to say, I wish I didn't, but you're going to say, I wish I would have.
1: Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. I think that's basically what what you're saying is, And, and you really don't, you don't know, Your parent, your sibling, your friend, your neighbor, it doesn't matter. You just never know what tomorrow's going to bring. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for coming on the show and really coming from your heart to help, you know, other listeners that are going through this, too. We know they are somewhere out there. There's a lot of us.
1: Thank you for Thank you
0: you so much for having us. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And um, any listeners have any questions? I know Debbie's always open for me to send her a message and let her know, or I'll have her contact information down below as well. So um, she can either, if it's a question for Stephanie or for herself as a mom, you know, feel free to ask questions if you're not sure. Maybe you might have an avenue that maybe they could go to or get more advice from or a book or whatever it might be. So thank you. Thank you for sharing. I know it's not easy. Nobody said it was going to be easy, did they? They didn't tell us that part in the manual either.
1: Unfortunately (laughs) not. They left that part out.
0: (laughs) They left a lot of that out there, I tell you. Yeah. So everybody, make sure you like, share and subscribe. If you know somebody going through this right now, make sure you like and share it with others because it will help somebody. You never know when it might just help them in, a, in the moment or in the future or whatever it might be. Um, and, you know, we're not Superman. We think we are, but we're definitely not um, because nothing, you know, nothing's going to happen know something will happen. We know something's going to happen to us at some point in time. We just don't know what, and we don't know when. So you can look at the last five years in the world, and you look around everywhere, and there's shootings in the streets, and there's shootings in the schools, and there's work accidents, and car accidents, and overdoses, and the pandemic, and crazy wars that we're going through today and last year, even. And today there's even more. Um, And the disasters and the wildfires and the hurricanes and tornadoes. I mean, the list goes on. Um, So we're not Superman in the world. And, you know, just maybe think of that, that we can be better prepared for the unexpected. If we just take a few minutes and get some help in doing that, you've got, The right place to go to. You can come contact us um, and making sure that you do that. And if you are thinking of that special someone right now that you haven't talked to or told, you know, in the last little while how much you love and care about them, make sure you do that because you don't know how many birthdays they're going to have left and you don't know what tomorrow might bring. So call them, knock on their door, FaceTime them, whatever it means, but tell them how much you love and care about them today. And that being said, I always end with Carol Burnett. Debbie knows that from being on the show. And I'm not a great singer, so just heads up on that one. Um, I'm not a great singer at all, but <laughs> hey, I try. So, you know, Carol Burnett has to give me that credit, right? So um, I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh or sing a song. Seems we just get started. And before you know it, comes the time we have to say so long so long everybody and I know I'm going to have these two beautiful souls back on our show again to help other people um, get through what they're going through or what they've gone through or what their journey looks like at the moment and I know it will help lots of people out there and I think that's why Stephanie and Debbie are here too to make sure that they can feel like they can help others as well. So stay tuned for our next week's show. I'm so grateful to have you all here. And thank you for all the likes and shares. And thank you, Debbie. And thank you, Stephanie, for taking time out of your days and and coming on our show to help others.
1: Anytime. Thank you for having
0: us. You're welcome. You're welcome. Till next time, uh, stay safe and be kind. Till next week. Love you. Bye.